And I shared with you last Sunday, you know, I grew up uh, pretty academic driven, uh, went to UCLA, was going to go to law school. So here's the deal. Quite honestly, if I hadn't done the research and came to the conviction about the resurrection, about scripture, about Jesus, there's no way I would be in front of all of you. Why would I do that? Why? why there's no way. At a certain point, I had to do enough soul-searching. I had to do enough academic research. I had to do enough praying. I had to do enough question-asking to get to the conviction where I'm willing to risk my eternity on what's written in the book that many of you have. This is not just a feel-good, week-to-week thing, shot in the arm, we're a you know, big kumbaya club. That's not what we're about here. There's plenty of good social clubs for you to join to do that. Plenty of good social clubs that you'll feel good about yourself. They'll affirm you, you know, everyone, you know, everyone knows your name, right? There's plenty of good, feel good stuff out there. We believe that this is all about, at the core, historical truth. Historical truth. That's why we, that's why, honestly, we speak with so much conviction about this. And I think as, as I reflect, part of my own conviction and why I kind of get about this is I was a young Christian in a mission trip in the Philippines. I've shared this before with some of you. We were out in the southern island of the Philippines, known for communism, known for not liking Americans, really known for not liking Christians. And one day they decide to send us out in teams of two in to various places on the southern island. And me and my buddy got picked to go to the jungles, to a remote village in the jungles where they had told us that's where all the bad guys live. I'm a believer into this about a year or two. Kind of settling stuff, kind of like solid and gospel. But, you know, when you jump on a Jeep and you're heading out to a jungle where you have been forewarned that hostiles live there, that two-hour Jeep ride, as I'm sitting on the top of this Jeep just looking out, I've been married a month, and I'm on the southern island of the Philippines heading to this small remote village, I got to tell you something. You have a lot of time to reflect on whether or not you believe this stuff. It's not a game. It's not VBS. It's not church on Sunday. You're on a jungle going to who knows where into known hostile territory. And for a young believer, it was pretty much a put up or shut up moment. Excuse that. It got real, real quick. And I'm sorting through all the books I read, and I'm like, I'm like, my heart's beating. I, you know, I looked at my friend, and he wasn't saying much, and I was just wondering if he was as terrified as I was. And that moment, and that trip, and that visit to the village, and having to get off the jeep and walk to these huts and say hi to people, and you don't even—I mean, your mind's just reeling at this point. And all I want to do, quite honestly, is just get out of there and get back to the base. That seared in me the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a very profound way. You just, you just were confronted with it. It's not a game. It's not a game, you know? And, and until you're in that situation and, and, you, and you're like, okay, here we go, here we go. And your life is literally, you feel like it's out of your control and, and all you got literally is Jesus. When it's all stripped away, and you're on that Jeep, and you're just wondering, do I really believe this? <laughs> do, I, do I believe what I believe? Do I believe what I say I believe, right? It gets all stripped away and gets real, real quick. 
And so the resurrection to me, every year when it comes around, I always get a little bit concerned that we, we, we get excited about it, nothing wrong with celebrating it, nothing wrong with the, the hunt and all this kind of stuff. But then I'm concerned that sometimes in the tradition of church, resurrection is just a one-off. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that was a great service last Sunday, right? We had 200-plus people here, had to bring in chairs. It was phenomenal. But is that just, okay, now we tuck it away till next, you know? The resurrection, you don't tuck away the resurrection. You don't tuck it away. Because according to this passage, we have been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This word hope, I've kind of been like, okay, Lord, I think we're going to camp on biblical hope. Because it's so foundational to, to your life and my life, this idea of hope. Now, we saw last Sunday, hope by the world is kind of uncertainty. I hope so, right? I hope the Dodgers win. Amen, right? I hope I get a raise. I hope I win the lottery. I hope it doesn't rain. So we have this idea in our mind, ingrained that hope is uncertainty, wishful thinking, not so sure, lots of doubt, right? That is not biblical hope. Everyone say not. Not, right? Biblical hope is rooted, it says here, we have living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is confident expectation, certainty. See, my hope biblically is based on the certainty of the resurrection. Amen? That's it. Biblical hope is confident, joyful expectation, eagerness. There's an emotional response to what we call biblical hope. That we're supposed to enjoy. We're supposed to be living, right? There's an emotional response. And then we come to church and we're like, what a powerful name it is. And where's the emotion to this, right? Where did we cap this thing so much? Hey, I had an opportunity yesterday to go watch the last Avengers. Avengers Endgame, right? Spoiler alert. No, I won't do that, right? Oh, everyone's like, oh, oh. So, I, was, I happened to be watching TV at the beginning of April, and the commercial came on for it. It's like, tickets now on sale. And my family, we love movies and Avengers, right? 11 years, 22 movies later, right? And so it's like, tickets now available. I'm like, so I whip out my phone, go on to Fandango, and I'm like, da, 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 and I get these tickets, right? And then I tell my family, hey, guess what I did? I bought Avengers tickets. What? Really? We're going to go? Yeah, and it's only two days after the opening, right? Yeah. So they're excited, and, you know, that kind of wanes in a couple of weeks, and then tomorrow, you know, yesterday morning, we get concerns out, right? Because it's 9 a.m. showing. There was a joy in the house. <laughs> there was this eager anticipation that we were going to go watch the Avengers Endgame at 9 a.m., leaving at 8.15. Do you think I had trouble getting anyone to wake up? No? <laughs> huh? We had people coming to join us. They were on time. We had breakfast. 
There's this joy about us, right? I had to do something with the car. I had to clean the windows because all this sap had come on. I'm out there doing cleaning windows at 7.30, happy, like we're going to watch Avengers. We're going to watch Avengers, right? There is this joy, this eager anticipation that we're going to go watch Avengers. And it colored and the whole atmosphere was excited. There was an anticipation. There was happiness in the house. As we were going about the daily stuff of breakfast, getting the car ready, getting changed, all the, all the stuff we do every day suddenly was coated with joy and anticipation and eagerness. That's what he's talking about. It's like, hey, church, this resurrection happened. Because the resurrection happened, the Bible says we know we're going to be resurrected. Are you living in that joy? Are you living with that eager anticipation? Right? Does it help? Does it color everything you need to do? The bills, the homework, the chores. Is it coloring all of that? Right? The stuff at work. The trials and tribulations of life. Is it rooted, is it coloring this joyful anticipation of God's goodness? How you live in that? That's what, we, that's what we're talking about here. That's the power of the resurrection. It says here, John Piper says, Living hope is hope that has power and produces changes in life. This is what living means in Hebrews 4.12 where it says, The word of God is living and effective. So Christian hope is a strong confidence in God, which has power to produce changes in how we live, in how we live. It's powerful. It's not just, you know, the resurrection is not just something you assent to. Oh, yeah, okay, check. Good doctrine. Check. It's not just something you assent to, not just something you believe academically. The resurrection catapults us into today and then into the future in power. Supernatural power. So what are some things we learned last week? Just kind of a review. Biblical hope ultimately is in a person. 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So biblical hope is rooted in a person. Person who resurrected. Jesus. Right? Biblical hope is living. We saw that. It's living hope. Right? It's present tense. It's fresh, strong, lively. Right? Alan Carr says this, Our hope is a living hope that is sure, certain, and real, as opposed to the deceptive, empty, false hope the world offers. You see, many in our day are pinning their hopes on their 401k plan. Many have their hope in the stock market. Some have their hope in their health or their family. This is a hope based in wishful thinking. When the New Testament uses the word hope, it does not refer to a fond wish or desire. It means a confident assurance based on the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an excited response. Amen? You're supposed to be lit about this. I mean, I didn't have to wave pom-poms to my kids and family yesterday. Because they each individually were excited about the expected movie, they each had it well up in them. It was a response. You didn't need loud music and a pastor berating you for not being... You didn't need that. You don't need that. 
when you grasp the resurrection and who you are in Christ and the power of the Spirit, quite honestly, it just comes out. It's just who you are. It's just who you are, right? Biblical hope is rooted in Scripture, right? Hebrews 4.12 is referenced. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Bible, it's not just an academic book. It's living through the power of the living Holy Spirit. The Word of God, check this, the Word of God is given that we may have hope. I love this, Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Hope is a person. Hope is living. Hope is rooted in scripture. Right? It says also in that verse that we might have hope. Hope is supposed to impact you today. Right now, biblical hope. If you're a believer, you are supposed to be living hope. It's supposed to have present tense, right? Look at Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. How's your joy? See, we're going to kind of talk up here and we're going to kind of delve more deeply into biblical joy in the week's ahead. But Romans 12, 12, joy is related to hope. So if you're not, if you're kind of, your joy, you're struggling in joy, you know what you probably are struggling with? Hope. It's a hope issue. Joy isn't something you muster up and you get all, you know, feelings and we crank the music. No. If you're struggling with joy as a believer, ask yourself how you're doing with hope as a believer. Biblical hope, confident expectation, certainty. Okay, certainty. Romans 12, 12 in the New Living says this, Rejoice in our confident hope. Romans 5, 2, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Are you confident and joyful this morning? See, this is where the church has kind of got, it got flipped, and now the church, we kind of sometimes take on this victim persona as a whole, and we're getting beat up and we just kind of, like I said before, we go into the corner and we, we kind of do this and we do rope-a-dope while the world just kind of does this. And we're just supposed to take it like this, I think, right? And we're just like, hey, want to know Jesus? Come join us in the corner. they got a room for it right here. But just when you come in, just cover up like this. Because until you go to heaven, this is what you got to deal with. I think this is weird. I don't know where the church got that. It's like we're just a body bag, we're just a punching bag, or we're just like this, woe is me, when Romans 5.2 says, we stand confidently and joyfully. Confidently and joyfully. So this past week, were you confident and were you joyful in Christ? And if you weren't, you may want to check the hope issue in your life. Right? You may want to check how you're doing with hope, biblical hope, because it's related to faith and love. Look at Colossians 1. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Right? So Paul is saying, hey, we've heard of your faith and your love. 
Right? There's a great word going around you. People are, people are talking you up. Your faith and your love. But look what he says. Which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Where does their faith and love come from? According to that verse. Hope! Hope! NIV says faith and hope, faith and love spring from hope. Spring from. So here's the thing. This church has this incredible testimony going out of their faith in Jesus and their love for one another, vertical and horizontal. Everyone's talking about them. And Paul says, you know where that comes from? Your hope. Your confident hope of what's waiting for you in heaven. That is enabling, that is increasing your faith, and that is enabling you to love. So if you're struggling with your faith, and if you're struggling to love one another, where are you supposed to check? Your hope. Check the hope tank. Do the dipstick on the hope. Check the warning light on the hope meter. Because according to this verse, their faith and their love sprang from, were rooted in, came from their confident hope. See, this is why the early church exploded. Because the Bible says that Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time. Okay, so let's just say right now. What's up? Let's just say Jesus appears. Right? To all of you. How many of you think that might affect you when you leave here? How many of you think your fear of death in the future might be a little bit changed because you just saw the risen Jesus? How many of you think it might affect your joy about you being resurrected because he's resurrected? It would change everything. Well, he is risen. He is. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. It's true. I mean, you just, a certain point. I hope for you it doesn't take being on a Jeep on a southern island to get there. But you've got to get there. You've got to get there. I had a pastor uh, say, you know, there's a phrase he used to say, you've got to drive the stake in the ground, bro. I was challenged, the young believer, you've got to drive the stake in the ground. There's too many Christians who are just wishy-washy. You're trying to hedge your bets. You're trying to, like, play it a little bit safe. See, here's the thing about the resurrection. I I shared with you last time the law of non-contradiction. Either it happened or it didn't happen. They both can't be true. They both can't be true. you got to pick one, and quite frankly, your eternity rests on that. But a lot of us are trying to play it safe. Oh, that's good for you, and that's what you believe, and this is what I believe. No, the law of non-contradiction says two contradictory statements can't both be true. Jesus is risen or he's not risen. One is right and one is... Right? And for those of you science-minded and saying, well, you know, how do you do that, prove that scientifically by the scientific method? You can't use the scientific method to prove historical events. Why? Because the scientific method requires something to be repeatable. So... 
You can't use a scientific method to prove George Washington existed or Abraham Lincoln. It's not repeatable. What you use is the legal historical method, the things that they were using in the court of law, evidence, eyewitnesses, all of that, legal historical. That's how you determine historical events, manuscripts, the whole, the whole deal. The resurrection either happened or it didn't. You got to land somewhere. You got to drive the stake in the ground. And I got to tell you, when you drive the stake on the ground that it did, then it did. Then it just did. Right? Then it just did. This hope even affects your desire to be godly. Look what it says in 1 John. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We know this. We know this. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In the New Living it says, And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Hope is rooted in your and my desire to be godly. So if you're struggling with wanting to be godly and pure, where should you look? The hope dipstick. Look in the hope tank. Because that verse says, if we have this eager expectation out of love and gratitude to him, I want to be pure. I want to be godly. That's what that verse is saying. And then First Peter says this. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of the threats. He's speaking, about, he's speaking to believers who are under persecution. He says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Look at that verse again. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. You know what this verse is saying? He said, hey, when you and I are persecuted, when you and I are going under trials and tribulations, our hope has a direct impact on how we're going to walk with Jesus through that. And how we handle that is the testimony to the unbelieving watching world. Question. I love this. It says, and as someone asks about your Christian hope. Question. Are you living with such living hope, such powerful hope in your life that the unbelievers want to ask you about what you have? Do you live in such a way that it draws people to say, hey man, what's up with you? Are you living with joy and eager expectation? Are you living in such a way that even when you're going through the pit of hell, even when everything is falling apart, you're living with this confident expectation of who you are in Christ that the watching world says, dude, how do you do that? What's going on in your life? I want that. That's what I want. Are you living in such a way that your life is drawing people to ask, ask how you do that. That's what that verse is saying. And what's it rooted in? Your hope. Your hope. Your confident, eager expectation. When people look at your life, 
Are they drawn to ask, what's, how do you, what's going on? You got this joy about you. You live, you, you, these, the, your perspective on what's happening in your life and worldly priorities and values. What's going on, man? Because it's attractive. It's attractive. I want that. Or conversely, are you living your Christian life and there's no difference between how you handle things and how the, your unbelieving friends handle things? To the point where unbelievers say, doesn't that person go to the well? Isn't that person a Christian? Man, doesn't seem to make any difference in their life. They're cussing up a storm and they're just as angry and they're just as bitter and they're just as railing as my non-believing friends. But at least my non-believing friends don't go to church. Right? That's what the world says. They're watching us. And they want to know if this resurrection and this living hope matters in 2019. They want to know, does it really matter in your life and in my life? And if they truly believe that, you know what? They might show up here one Sunday with you. They just might come with you because they're going to be attracted to it. They're like, man, I want that hope. So if you're kind of wondering, okay, why, why my, my joy level and my faith level and my love level and this eagerness, why is it just empty? A, okay, A, you may never have understood the importance of biblical hope. How many of you, this is kind of like, I never knew hope mattered so much? Anyone? Right? Who knew? Biblical hope, confident, eager expectation, foundational to faith, love, and joy. Foundational to your testimony, foundational to you wanting to be godly. All comes back, according to the verses we saw, to biblical hope. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Have you driven the stake in the ground? So maybe for some you're like, whoa, I've got I, I, I to deal with this hope issue. So it's new. If that's new, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Praise God for that. For some also, you might be struggling today with faith, love, joy, your testimony, wanting to be godly. Quite honestly... Because you still got some doubts about some of the core truths of the faith, which is fine. You got to seek it out. Maybe you're not sure the resurrection happened. Would you bet your eternity on the resurrection today? Would you bet your eternity on the book that you're, many of you are holding as the Word of God living and active? Would you? You see what I mean? So, so if faith. Love, joy, godliness, and my testimony go back to biblical hope. It might be that you're struggling in these areas because you got some doubts and you got some questions and you're uncertain and you're unwilling to drive the stake in the ground because of those. Because if I have doubts, by default, who will I go back to? Me! And what I think, in my opinion, and what I feel. You see, if I'm struggling with taking up my cross and following Jesus 100%, the resurrection, all of it, Word of God being the Word of God. If I'm struggling with that and I have doubts, well, you know what? Probably I'm just going to resolve back, revert back to me. I'm the boss. I'm God. I decide 
really what's true in that book. I decide if, how much I really believe the resurrection. Myth, legend, maybe. See, if you have uncertainties, you may just be reverting back to you as the center and foundation of your Christian walk. Because you're unwilling and you're scared to launch out fully. Launch out. Just launch out. Right? Some of us have had those launch out moments. And some of you this morning may have been brought to the edge again. Where you're confronted with some of these areas in your Christian faith that you've just pushed aside. Now here's the deal. I'm going to be very honest with you. There are answers. Legitimate answers to the resurrection happening, to the Word of God being the Word of God, all of it. But here's the deal. You've got to expend the effort to do it. I can stand up here for hours and hours and tell you all the stuff I found and give you all the research, but you've got to find it and you've got to come to the place of conviction. It's your stake to drive in the ground. I can't even do that for my kids. I pray for my kids, I help my kids, I try to live an example that draws my kids to being a follower of Jesus. If they have questions about the resurrection and the word of God, I try to give them answers. But here's the truth as a parent. My kid each has to draw, drive their own stake in the ground. Because they're each accountable to God, not me. Right? So here's the thing. If you have questions, there's plenty of resources out there. Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, Ravi Zacharias... Read their books. Go on YouTube. There's a ton of apologetics out there. If you want a website, here's a good one. We say give to a lot of people around here. Gotquestions.org. If you got a question, you go to gotquestions.org and you type in your question and they give you a biblical answer in one page, like three paragraphs. Great resource. If it's going to help you resolve these deep uncertainties, these deep doubts, these, these questions that have lingered in your life, go find the answers. Go find the answers because it could be impacting your hope. If biblical hope is confident, certain expectation, and you're being pulled by doubts and uncertainties, you've got to get it resolved. Because... We just saw biblically that biblical hope affects your faith, your love, your joy, your godliness, and your testimony. It's inescapable. It's inescapable. So find the answers. Find the answers. And give yourself time too. It takes time. But it does take effort. The answers are there if you want to find them. They really are. Okay, I went on the journey. Okay. And finally... Why might you be struggling with hope? Well, there's this great word picture, and, and hope has this, this picture. John Corson says this, In the catacombs of Rome, where Christians hid in times of persecution, one symbol can be seen more than any other, the anchor. So if you go to the Christian catacombs, one person said there's 60 to 70 in this one place where they've actually carved anchors into the tombs. Anchors. And you're like, anchors? Because in the early church, the anchor symbolized hope, biblical hope. Michael Card says this, the first century symbol wasn't the cross. It was the anchor. 
If I'm a first century Christian and I'm hiding in the catacombs and three of my best friends have just been thrown to the lions or burned at the stake or crucified and set ablaze as torches at, at one of Emperor Nero's garden parties, the symbol that most encourages me in my faith is the anchor. When I see it, I'm reminded that Jesus is my anchor. Why might you be struggling today? Because you have to answer to be real honest. Who or what is your real anchor? Who or what is your real anchor as you sit here? Some other pictures that were found, different catacombs. Anchors. Anchors, the early Christian. June Hunt says this. For centuries, anchors have been a symbol of hope. This emblem was especially significant to the early persecuted church. Many etchings of anchors were discovered in the catacombs of Rome where Christians held their meetings in hiding. Threatened with death because of their faith, these committed Christians used the anchor as a disguised cross and as a marker to guide the way to their secret meetings. Located beneath the ancient city, 600 miles of these tomb-like burial chambers served as a place of refuge during perilous times of persecution. Thus, the anchor, found even on some tombstones today, has become the symbol of guaranteed hope for the eternal security of true Christians. What's your anchor? Who's your anchor? Your bank account? Your health? A relationship? What's your anchor? Right? Hebrews 6.18 So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. I love this verse, great verse, 19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for, your, for our soul. Question again, what's the anchor for your soul today? What are you looking for for stability, for security? When the storms come and your ship of life is being tossed to and fro and you think it's going to be swamped, what's your anchor? If you're really honest, just think about that. What are you really anchoring on right now? Your self-reliance, your intellect, your friends. What, what, what's your anchor? What's your anchor? It's interesting, an anchor as a noun means the anchor of a ship, but as a verb, anchor means to fix or secure in a particular place. So what's anchoring you this morning? Honestly, is it Jesus? Is it living hope? Is that your anchor? Is that your anchor, right? The title of the message was, right, Biblical Hope, Certainty Versus Circumstances. How many of us this morning, for honest, were enjoying living hope based on the certainty of the resurrection, the certainty of God's truth? Or how many of us, these believers, we really are circumstance-driven? We're really self-driven, right? Certainty versus circumstances. Which one really drives you? Which one really anchors you, right? Because if if I'm circumstance-driven, here's the thing. It's not too far away that I'm really self-driven, Because if I'm trying to manage, if my anchor is that I try to prevent all the bad things happening, minimize pain and suffering, maximize pleasure, 
right? That's circumstance-driven. Minimize pain and suffering. Maximize pleasure. If I'm circumstance-driven, I'm driving it. It's self-centered. I'm self-reliant. I'm leaning on myself. And, and, and then what happens is you slide into perfectionism. Right? Then, then it's like you can't even make a mistake because your anchor is in holding everything together. How many of you feel like you're the anchor in your life, maybe in your family? Any anchors here? I know all of you want to raise your hand, but that's okay. Don't. The anchor in your life, honestly, might be you. And it's not supposed to be you. I'm praying for freedom this morning for y'all. You are not supposed to be the anchor. Jesus is the anchor. He is the anchor. He's the one that holds you stable and secure in the storm. It's Him, not you. Right? It's so interesting. Last night I was here and I had my own little... You know, when God does this, like, here, you should learn the lesson before you preach this. So last night I'm here, and I make a mistake. I was distracted, and I made an honest mistake. And then I just, like, flipped out about this mistake I made. Like, my kids were here, and I'm like, God, can you believe I did this? I'm so dumb, you know. This is the mistake, if I'm very honest, if, if one of my kids made it or my wife made it, I'd be like, how could you have been so that's the kind of mistake I made last night. Like, blunderville. Blunderville. Like, mistake. And I'm like processing this, and I do what I can to make sure that, you know, do what you need to do to clean it up and fix it. But it gnawed at me for hours. And I left here at 10, and I went home, and I couldn't sleep. And I'm like, Lord, why is this thing bugging me so much? Why? I did what I could. Okay, it's fine, you know. Made it right. And then it dawned on me that there's a part of me growing up that the anchor in my life got to such a point of me being the anchor that I wasn't even allowed to make mistakes. Because the anchor in my life was don't make mistakes. Don't mess it up. Don't do anything to shame the family. Don't do anything to bring disgrace. Don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything silly. Don't make a fool of yourself. Don't embarrass whoever. And so I did something last night that was just a flat-out blunder. And God revealed to me that, you know, you're the anchor in this area, aren't you, buddy? Why can't you just... Why, how many of you have a hard time making a blunder in your life? Like a straight-up blunder. Like, I can't believe that moment. And you end up beating yourself up over and over, and you try to slice and dice it. Rather than just giving yourself permission, as I say to my oldest daughter, permission and welcome to the human race. <laughs> How many of us tend to be over here? And we're just like, you idiot, how could you do that? Da, 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 da. And I went through that for a couple hours last night, and God's like, dude, chill out. You're not the anchor. You're human. You're going to make mistakes. But see, if I'm the anchor, I'm not allowed to make mistakes because everything is anchored to me. But when he's the anchor, suddenly Romans 8.28, hey, all things work for the good. Hey, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. See, now he's the anchor. 
in my humanness and in my honest mistakes and in my own sanctification, in my own need to re- receive His grace for my blunders, my, my absolute idiotic choices, He's my anchor. And I come to Him embarrassed and I come to Him and ask His forgiveness and I, you know, I'm humbled in front of my family that for many years, because I was the anchor, they weren't allowed to make mistakes either. Right? Don't tell Dad. I know, girls, and Vinny, I know the stories. You told Mom. I know the stories. We're married. We talk. But you see what happens when I become the anchor, then I carry it all on my back. And now I'm the anchor, so none of you mess it up because I'm trying to anchor this whole thing. And it comes out this way, and it's not even love anymore. It's just guilt and condemnation and fear. Now, they can't make a mistake, and I can't make a mistake. So our family just tied up in knots. But we come to Jesus, and we come to church. How was your day? Good. How's your family? Wonderful. No, it was a blunder. And for two hours last night, I had a come to Jesus moment where I was like, okay, yeah, you got me. It was an idiotic thing. And it's okay. Because he's the anchor. And I'm still working through this because even this morning I was like, you idiot. <laughs> Let it go, man. Let it go. We're in this together. Amen? So we're going to look at biblical hope. And, and my prayer for you is freedom. Freedom. If you're on the journey to, to drive a stake in the ground, yeah, it's kind of scary because it's an all-in moment. It's an all-inner. To say you believe in the factual, historical resurrection, yeah, there's a lot of people in this community that are going to laugh at you. They're just going to laugh. Well, okay. Drive a stake in the ground anyway. It's your conviction. It's your faith. The Bible says we're all going to give account to God. Right? If you're in a process, stay in the process. Stay in the process. Right? We want to encourage you, um, and we'll grow together. We'll grow together. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our hope. And we just want to take a moment now and in honesty and transparency let you search our hearts about who or what is the real anchor as we sit in these chairs. What's the anchor in our life? Who is the anchor? Is it us? Is it circumstances? Are we trying to control everything? Are we trying to carry the weight of the world? Are we trying to anchor and hold it all together at home? Lord, please, set us free to walk in in living hope. The living hope of Jesus through faith in Jesus. And so, if you're here this morning and God's speaking to your heart, first step, put your faith, put your hope in Jesus. Not just His death and burial, but His resurrection. It's part of the gospel. The gospel is about His death and resurrection. Certainty, confident expectation. Put your faith, anchor yourself in Jesus. Anchor yourself in Jesus.
Lord, for those this morning who are, who are on, the, on the journey of trying to um, work through some doubts, questions they've had about the resurrection, about the Word of God being the Word of God, about creation, about whatever, some, some real issues, some legitimate issues, Lord, bring them the resources, bring them the people to equip them to get to the place of driving the stake in the ground so that they can live in freedom and joy of biblical hope because we know it affects our joy, our faith, our love, our godliness, ultimately affects our testimony. It comes all the way back down to walking and living hope. Living hope. Before we sing this song, I just want to uh, read this quote, put it up on the screens by William MacDonald. It says this, In the storms and trials of life, this hope serves as an anchor of the soul. The knowledge that our glorification is as certain as if it had already happened keeps us from drifting on the wild waves of doubt and despair. The anchor is not cast in the shifting sands of this world, but takes hold in the heavenly sanctuary. Since our hope is the anchor, the meaning is that our hope is secured in God's very presence behind the veil. Just as sure as the anchor is there, we shall be there also.